Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the bi-weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you once again for tuning in and listening to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. I am so excited to welcome today's guest to the show, a corporate executive chef, entrepreneur, author, speaker, TV, celebrity chef, teacher, certified executive pastry chef, and regional vice president for the American Culinary Federation. And that is only part of her culinary school story. So without further delay, it is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Kimberly Brock Brown. Chef, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kyle, for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So let's start right at the beginning. I know you went to or you studied home economics in high school. Is that where you got your first love of food, your passion for culinary arts, or did it happen before that? It happened before that. Um, growing up with parents uh, who both loved to cook and went out to eat. I grew up in the Chicago area and great restaurants all around. But, you know, mom was a great cook, dad was a great cook. And so when we did go out to eat, though, we went out to some really nice places, too. So I was exposed to a lot of food early on throughout my childhood. So by the time I got to high school and culinary arts or home ec was offered, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, let's go cook. I want to go cook. Because we were cooking all along at the house. You know, the household chores, your week to cook or your weekend, whatever. We were always in the kitchen cooking. So it, it happened by, by, nat- by nature. Uh, Sometimes by force. <laughs> you know, we cook it. Great. And did, now, why did you pick pastry over culinary or did you try both did you just know right from the start which one was your you know kind of the path you would take no that's one of those cool stories i, I did not know um I, li- I liked both of them growing up and by the time i got to um, el central it was actually still i had this fear actually of, of bacon and pastry only because we had a uh, when i had my first um pastry class at school it was just so over my head and so intimidating for me the instructor that we had. It was an adjunct instructor. He was one of the pastry chefs at one of the local hotels. He was French. So he spoke very little English. So he had his assistant pastry chef come in, who was American, but wanted to speak English with a French accent to try to teach us pastries. I had no idea, I had no idea what a parachute was. I, I didn't know the stuff that they were talking about. You know, so it was already over my head. And then when the teacher, because their, their property got busy, stopped showing up for classes and we stopped having classes and we just signed a little attendance sheet We'd be booting out, you know, 15 minutes later, you know, killing ourselves, not really knowing it, you know. But I, I was very intimidated with pastry. I just did not know. It wasn't really until I got in pastry and baking was the last round in my three-year apprenticeship. I put it off because of that fear because I just did not know it. Um, when I got to work with the then pastry chef, David Brown, who was in Hawaii now, um, and just learned so much from him. And that's what that's what got me into baking and pastry really. Uh, great, awesome. Now I know you did. Uh, you didn't go to culinary school like some the listeners may have. What it's a two year associates or four years bachelor's. You did the American Culinary Federation apprenticeship, but you also had to go to classes at a school, traditional like culinary school. Could could you explain how that works for the listeners and what you had to do? Uh, uh, maybe working and taking academic classes at the same time. Right. Well, the apprenticeship program, you are working a paid job um, in, in a, at a affiliate or a partner hotel or property, usually usually a hotel, but sometimes country clubs too, and, and sometimes restaurants depend on how, as long as the restaurant offered everything that the program needed, you know, the butchering, the, the, the storeroom aspect, all that. So, but the majority was hotels. And so you got a full-time job with the hotel's benefits and hotel's rules and regulations that you were subjected to. But you also, within the from a hotel, had to attend the school. And the school we went to, so it was El Central, it was a community college. Um, and so they had the home ec, uh, sorry, culinary arts program already ready to go. Um, some of the business math that we took, there was a special session section in there for us culinary people uh, for business math related to food, right? And so yeah. you know, the, the, the 
it, it was amazing, it, you know, that you think about that now. It wasn't that way. I think I don't really do it now, but, you know, I didn't take an English courses, whatever. But it was, you know, I, I, I averaged about 10 to 12 hours a semester of classwork while I'm working a 40 hour or plus. Wow. You know, week. But I love it. You, you, you know, you're 19, I was 19 years old, I think, when I started. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what you do, you know, when, when you're that yeah. young. <laughs> you just go <laughs> and you just do it, you know. And that was in Texas. So what brought you from Chicago down to Texas to do it there? Was it the property that you did your apprenticeship with? No, not at all. It was, I was all set, accepted to go to the school of the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And so after graduation from high school, like three days later, I was in Dallas. I had an older sister. The eldest sister was already in Dallas. Working. She had already graduated from her, 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 her um, college. And I uh, just went down there for summer before I went to Tennessee. But the other sister was going to school in Nashville. I was going to be in Chattanooga. And so uh, so with the Texas, go hang out with the sister for a few, you know, a month or so before going to school. And, and liked it so much. I was like, well, maybe I'm not ready for school. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't really, you know, I, I had settled on um, that school or the University of Alabama, which rejected me. And, and that one accepted me because I was looking for something in, in home ec, you know, something in cooking. But I couldn't find that. And I could not, I did not know the words to articulate culinary arts back in that day. Right. And so the closest I could find was a, a food managers program. Yeah. Oh, maybe that'll work. <laughs> you know, like, so I was selling for that at University of Tennessee. And so I just wasn't really enthused at that point in time to go. And I had the room, I had everything booked up, signed up for, and everything. Right. But I just, I just, I just didn't feel it. So I stayed in Texas. Ah. And that's what happened. Now, going back to the school part of it, how many days a week? Did you have to go to classes? Was it split up or was it just one massive day that you took all of that? It all depended on the classes that you were taking. I mean, you you, you chose your schedule. You know, so I, I usually average about maybe three days worth of classes. Uh, you know, one class this day, maybe two classes that day. It all depends on which classes you were taking. You know, it, it was up to the person, the apprentice, mm-hmm. and the classes that they were taking. Because there wasn't really a set time. This, this semester, you have to take this, 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 that. You know, you took them as you ready to take them and then your work schedule kind of filled in around that right right they they understood you know that's part of the program they understand that you got to go to class you know they cannot not have you go to school it's the pressure program they go hand in hand right right so um and there were some people who did a split shift kind of thing depending on what time that class was offered that they had to have right you know and most of us always put off you know the harder classes towards the end of our program right so like their food costs purchasing <laughs> you know some people didn't like nutrition i love my nutrition class but you know so the, the hard class is usually weighted so you know you work your schedule around that right time. yeah the math classes and things because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I had interviewed a couple people on the show from europe australia and other places and they go with their apprentice program they would go to work five days have one day off and then they went to like on a monday for all day for all of their classes so a little bit different of the model yeah so did, while you were there, what was the best class that you had then in that academic part? You, you, you took the hard classes later, so those were your, your math classes. What was your best class? You said nutrition? I love nutrition. Yeah, Dr. Hitt was her name. Um, you, know, some people, you know, some people really don't get the nutrition part or don't think, you know, back then didn't think it was so necessary in our only training. It's just about cooking, cutting, whisking, whatever, whatever. But I really did love the nutrition class. Um, I mean, I can remember even the final way to do in the class where it was you had a family of four and, you know, the guy did construction work, the mom did this, the kids were this age, and then what, what, was the, what were the nutritional needs for the day? And how, I mean, I remember all that stuff. I loved that class. You know, it was just so intriguing and interesting to me. Not, not that I wanted to be a dietitian, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I liked the class. It just stuck with me, that's all. So that, that you know, people would hear in, but, you know, and Dr. Hitt, you know, would live up to her name, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, she she get you, but you know, ooh wee. But I I did love her class. The other class I think would have been, um, except that patient class over my head. It was like I had no idea. Uh, but and, and it wasn't to me something that was very approachable, just because I couldn't really feel like I could approach the teacher. Um, saying you have an assistant who's who's American and wants to speak to you in English with a French accent. That's how I go. What is that? You know, I I don't know what this is, and and just wasn't. You know, I, I think the ex. The expectation was you had to learn or you already knew some things coming into the class. And I knew nothing to me. Yeah, I, I knew a flan or from caramel. I knew some cookies. I knew some brownies and some stuff. But, but you know, when you're talking about the other stuff that patient chefs do, like, I was just like, 
over my head. So that was very intimidating. I love the baking class we had. That chef, he was he was one of those old school bakers, you know, scooping my hand and everything was just same size going on. It was just it was gorgeous. It was great. That class I learned a lot. So it wasn't necessarily the subject matter. It might have been the 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 person, the teacher, the professor that was getting the information across. I, th- I think so. I think so. Because, I mean, I, I was on things list. <laughs> I did pretty good in my classes, you know. I, I always felt like it was, it was my money was a hard thing, terrible thing yeah. to waste. I took that attitude. So I'm going to pay my money. And it was my money that for a time paid my college. Even though the, the, the hotel I worked with, their party program was they reimbursed you for education, right? So, but I paid up front, <laughs> you know, and so like not wasting my money. I'm going to make sure I get what I need to get out of these classes, you know. So I, I made sure I was on things list. I was a pretty good student, even on that hard class. And the, the one teacher I have left that's, that's alive still is the one who taught uh, purchasing and, and purchasing and what's the other class? Um, 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 who calls? And he said he had to look it up. When I saw him about five years or so ago, he had to look it up. See what my grades were. <laughs> so you did pretty good in my class. So I know about the skin of my teeth. You know, that's just study, study, study. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, looking back now, was it worth it? Would you do it again? Would you make any changes? Would you have gone a different route? Uh, it was great. And I, I tell you all the time, um, you know, when, when I can graduate, get my certification, and start work immediately or continue working as I did at the hotel I worked at, um, and have the um, expertise, the experience, and at that point in time, some seniority at the job. Um, it's better than coming out of culinary schools, the student loan, and that kind of debt to start off with when you're still making minimum wage or maybe a little better. You know, so I, in a minute, I recommend an apprenticeship program because you're getting both the hands on and the book. You know, it, it, everybody doesn't do it the same way um, at school as you do it on, on the job. You know, so I always tell people there's more than one way to get a cat, fill an apple, whatever. You know, but here, you know, if, if when I when I was working as a pastry chef and I had people coming in from the different schools of their intern externship programs, you know, and they only knew how to cut a cake in 12 pieces. Well, I didn't usually cut a cake in 12 pieces. I would cut the cake in 18 pieces for a buffet, 14 pieces for a plate up. And those aren't easy cuts if you don't know how to cut them evenly, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing for a pie. And so, you know, I always tell them that you had to learn more ways than one. You know, if you, if you just, everything's the same here, here, it's just not going to work. You have to adapt and adjust to where you are and what's happening. You know, so you might cut the cake in 12 at that restaurant, but over here, an 18 cut, a 16 cut, and it's a 10 inch round. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's got, it's got to be able to, and to learn it, and to, you know, so that to me is, is, is the key. And I always tell them it's easier to work production and scale down you have to scale up that that's some intimidation that's some fear right there you know you already know you can plate up 500 to a thousand blah 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 what that what all that entails there's no problem to plate up 100 you know i can do it by myself right but if yeah. you've never done the 500 to a thousand you gotta do it now that's an right i would think the apprentice model would give you more of a customized education because it's not following a set curriculum. It's for you and, and who you're working with and who your mentor is and who you're training under. Right. And, and there was no set rotation that you had to go to Garmage, you had to go to this coffee shop or this butcher shop. You know, it was it was all of a of a flow. You know, if I needed you here or you did your three months or four months here in this department, then it's time for you to switch over to, you know, so it, it was really very wide open, which is great actually. It wasn't so structured that mm-hmm. You know, so you, you're able to learn and grasp. And sometimes it, it would be rare that your book study would catch up with your actual work experience, but you were still getting it. Mm-hmm. So talking about that worst class, tell me about the hollandaise sauce. What happened with hollandaise? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It might have been basic food prep or prep to, uh, you know. And once I learned what a hollandaise sauce was, and... My, my lab partner, a good friend of mine, um, let me made the mistake of let me make it one time. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not whisking this thing. I just I just couldn't whisk it long enough or didn't whisk it long enough, you know. And that was it. I just didn't take the time to whisk it long enough. So therefore, I didn't get the air that I needed to hold that butter that I needed, you know, to pour it in it. And I would break it every time. <laughs> but between him and our instructor, I learned how to fix it every time. Start over, 
and incorporate you know so I, I learned a lot in that class but i swear i think the first three times i made all this i, was, I broke it. perseverance though you know? paid off right oh oh yeah so by the time i got to the pastry shop i had to make a seven young i was on it i knew how to do it <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just a small thing sometimes, and just kind of keep working. I think even Thomas Keller wrote that in one of his books. So there was a story about him and Hollandaise breaking it. It was the perfect sauce, and we used to really want to dominate that and stuff. But it's just you know, the little things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you have the degree, or you have your apprenticeship. Your papers are signed off. What what where did that take you? What did you do next? And how did your career kind of unfold? What paths did you follow? I ticked off my executive chef and I stayed in the pastry shop. He was looking for somebody to be a first lead cook or something, you know, and go towards the restaurant business part or maybe in the banquets. I, I ain't like that. I, I loved working in the big shop, pastry shop. I, you know, after all that, you know, this, and this happened because of the person I was working with. You know, you were able, I was able to flourish and, and, and pick up the things that I didn't, did not get out of the class. Um, and, and I saw the opportunity to advance working with him and staying in where, in there where I was. Um, I also loved saucier, but I also knew, at least in my head, that I've never had seen or heard of a saucier chef advancing to become an executive chef. That it was more dead in. You got to be in banquets or in a restaurant to get up mm -hmm. to that next level. And so I was liking pastry and baking. He was willing to teach and train. And at the time, he was the unofficial corporate trainer. So if you wanted to be a pastry chef at that hotel or any hotel for that corporation, you came through him. Oh, yeah. I'm already there. Well, okay, let's do this. And that's what happened. Oh, good. So then you stayed with that company, and but in the bake shop capacity, executive pastry chef, yeah. and then stayed there until you moved on to where'd you go next? Well, I stayed there, learned everything I needed to learn, was the theory, you know, and, and, and by that time, his two assistants had been promoted and transferred out. Uh, one went to um, executive pastry chef in Orlando, one went to executive pastry chef at hotel, one of the property hotels in Hawaii. And um, so I, I moved up, moved up. And, and so after a while, I was doing the ordering. I was doing the production list for the day. I was making you know, more of the fine stuff. I was coming in early, learning, you know, the showpiece works and stuff like that that he was doing, staying late to help with production and plate ups, you know, and, and, and just learning everything I could learn at that point in time, about, about a year. And, um, and then finally, two positions opened up for a pastry chef. One was in Head and one was in Greenwich. And I had... Heard both of them kind of sort of, and I'm thinking Hitman was white because I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really looked up, you know, so I'm trying to find a book because no Google back in that day. You know, I'm trying to find something. Where are these places at? And, and then I'm looking at cost of living. So, oh my God, it costs how much living? And, oh my God. And my salary is going to be what? Oh, you know, in Hilton Head. Well, it's kind of expensive too. But I'll take that because it's warm. It's in the South and I'm not trying to go. That's no thing. So I stayed with the Hilton Head, you know, and transferred to that property, transfer promotion. So good. Now, I know you have quite a few certifications, and you're obviously American Culinary Federation, ACF, very high up in that. I wonder if you could speak to, the, to that and to listeners and, and how important it is to get involved and in networking and get those certifications outside of your you know, education proper, so to say. You know, it, it really is true that certification matters. Um, it, it, I feel that I would not have advanced in my career without them. I mean, when, I, when I'm when i done, um, I also proctor the exams, the certification exams. And so when I tell the people who've done it, who are considering doing it, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key factor that separates you from other people that don't have it. You know, if, if there's a, and an example I like to give sometimes is, you know, if there's just kicks and giggles, easy math, if there's five culinary schools in the state, each class has 50 people. So that's how many people with culinary degrees in the state how many of them are certified? But you have it. You know, so what are your chances that somebody's going to look at you versus all the rest? Right? And so it's just a game changer, a different a differentiator between you and the average person. Not to say that your 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 skills are there or are not as on par or less or more, but it, it gives you, it tells that employer who's looking or the hiring person that's looking that you have taken the sanitation, the you know, the, the supervisory part. And you've done some skills levels at this level that you're certified at, and so that it's it's, it's a profession to you, you're taking it personally, and it's not just a job. You know, this is what you are going to do with, with your career. It's a career, it's a career changer because you're treating it as a career versus I just need a job. 
Yeah, that's so true. It shows that not only do you have the academic part of it, but you have to have that experience part. You had to have that, you know, on on job, you know, in the job and and working in the industry. So it kind of gives you that you know, both sides. I agree. I agree. Yeah, there was there was a um, one young lady I remember when we were I was doing the certifications at Royal Caribbean, and there were no women taking their tests. It's all the guys taking it. So I was sitting in the chef's office and maybe going over the papers or something. And she, she walked by and she saw me and she stopped. And I looked up and, you know, waved. And she came to the office, you know, like, you know, how you doing? My name is, you know. And she, we just had, a, it couldn't have been three minutes of a conversation. It was just so much, so big. And she had never seen a female person of color chef with the badges and the patches and stuff on my ja- on her jacket. You know, and I was like, well, why aren't you taking these tests? Because she didn't feel like it was for her. Wow. Like, well, why do you not feel like it's for her? And because, you know, all, all the European guys are telling her and teaching this and that, and she didn't take it serious. But it is serious, I'm telling her, because when your contract is up. If you don't have the certification, you won't get renewed. Mm-hmm. I said, and when you get this, that they are offering to pay for it, you know how much it still costs. You know, when they are paying for it and giving you this leg up, whenever you don't feel like you want to work for this company again, when you go back to your country, you are a step above with this paperwork. You know, I said, there are plenty of people who look like me or just female, you know, who are out there who have this, you know, so just because you only see this, this is what you <laughs> see on this boat, you know, but there's this world out there where there are women and minorities out there who have stuff that you have not seen. Do not ever limit yourself because you feel like they are talking to you and make them talk to you, make them understand that you need this, this, and that. It was like, it was, it's not even five minutes conversation, this is just boom, boom, boom. You know, and she just went away. But I was, it's, I always notice when I do that, I, where are the women? Are there women taking these certifications? Are there women stepping up and leading? Are there women who's taking advantage of these you know, these possibilities? Yeah, did she end up going for it? Or no, maybe later on? No, it was too late by that time because it's something that she hadn't even taken all the uh-huh. classes that she needed to take. So, you know, by that time, it's already, it's already been determined before we get on that shift, how many people are, are taking the practical and how many people are going to take the written. They've already had, had You planted the seed, though. Oh, yeah. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit more because I know you wrote a book, you're an author, and you have the Here I Am, you know, Chef Kimberly's answer to the question, where are the female and minority chefs? Let's talk about why is there, you know, the female presence isn't there in those leadership roles, the executive chef roles, you know, um, minorities. You know, I I have a few, few theories on that. And some of them are, you know, we still are the caretakers. You know, uh, you hear it now, even in during this pandemic stuff, you know, that more women are out of the workforce because the decision was made. Who's taking care of the homeschooling and the kids? Right. so when, when there's kids involved, it will almost automatically default to the woman. Right. And so that's one. So if you don't have the support system, you know, take care of junior and baby kids and all that stuff, you know, when you when you come in your work, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do? And because being in a, in a manager position, you're not working eight hour a day. It's just not it. Right. And so how do you do it if you don't have your mom, your dad, your husband, somebody there to support you while you're doing those hours at work? That's one. And another thing is it's, it's a fear factor or, well, they didn't offer it to me. Well, I'm not going to go for it because, you know, there's, there's another study I remember reading. In, um, it was lean in or something that if there's a criteria of 10 objectives listed for a job and the woman meets nine of them, eight of them, the guy meets seven or six, the guy will go for it. The woman won't. Well, I didn't meet all ten. Wow. You know, that's study. That's another. Oh my God. You know, so sometimes we we, we are our worst enemies. Mm-hmm. We don't push ourselves and just grab the opportunity when it's presented. And sometimes, you know, it's just support or lack thereof of it. So it's the combination. But you climb. So and, and you have had children. You had a son. So how? I had did, my son you... in my thirties. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I had a kid, I was in my twenties. I was working those crazy hours. It'd be a big difference. Because I was married. You did the career, you did the career first. Yeah, and then I the... did. I did. You know, <laughs> I wasn't in a relationship that was that was leading towards that either. You know, I had relationships, whatever, but I wasn't, you know, engaged. Blah blah blah. I mean, I, I married at thirty, had my son at thirty-five. You know, so I, you had those twenties to do the career and work on, you know, climbing those now, ranks. Yeah. And everybody's not like that. You know, there's, there's more people now with, with kids in their twenties. Than, than ever, you know, and it's, it's just a harder, it's not that it's impossible, it's just going to be a longer process. Now, I know reading your bio and stuff that, you know, you made waves by being the first and only, you know, African-American female elected to the board of the American Culinary Federation, and they've been around for 90 years. Why do you think it, 
it took so long and was there just not qualified candidates out there or was there just barriers whether they're visible or invisible that were in the way why weren't others you know taking that role that you did there you know i believe that there are barriers and i think just for lack of knowledge that i was even aware uh, when i decided what was it the conference the convention was in phoenix and and I, I know years before I had asked and asked and asked about, can we have like a women's forum? Can we put time on the agenda? Or can we get it a, just a meeting space or whatever so that the women can get together and just network talk? You know, it doesn't have to be anything official or with, with education hours or points. We just wanted the space to get together and talk. At the time, I was also the um, one of the three North American continental directors for WAX, Women in WAX. And so we, we were really trying to get network with other women. Mm-hmm. And so like, why not at a convention or a conference? It's perfect with, with hair, you know, and so, but I would never get afforded the opportunity to, to get that happening. And so when Venus happened, um, the president had put together a, a um, what's it called? Task force. And, and I just happened to come upon the task force because it was on the ACM website. Uh, and I'm like, oh, what's that? You know, and I, and I emailed like, what's, what's going on with this? What's all that? You know, and, Oh, we got our first meeting tomorrow. And you know, do a conference call. You can join us. I know y'all. I'm, I'm good. I'm like, I hell that. You know, like I, I'll be down. You know, I've been asking for this for three years, and now this is a task for us. Okay. And so they had they had in Phoenix on the agenda meeting space with continuing education hours and all that. Assignment. I wasn't even gonna go. I'm like I'm just done. I don't even wanna go. No, Kim, we gotta go. So I had my girlfriends on. You gotta go. We got. Okay. I'm curious. Let's go. Sit. And so whatever day it was during the convention, they had a meeting room, about 40-ish people in there, um, sitting at tables. And what they wanted to do, what they did was um, each person who was there representing the task force went to each table. And they had a, a, a specific question that, they, that we were supposed to converse about, whatever. And they were taking notes, whatever. And they were going to combine all the notes and then present it to the board, the new board, whatever, because it was election year, to the board in their fall meeting. And that just got me hyped. I like, and I don't even know why, but it just got me hyped. You know, I like, okay, wait a minute. You guys are going to sit here. You're going to put us through all this stuff. You're going to take notes. You're going to write stuff down. You know, and one of them was like this, this, you know, 30 page, you know, questionnaire. Like, oh my God. Wow. You know, I said, you can compile this all together and then give it to the board so they can discuss, discuss, discuss. But meanwhile, yesterday at, at the board of governors meeting, you know, six white guys got up and nominated six more white guys. There's not one woman nominated. They came here with the, with the plan to do something now. And we should talk about going to the board and letting them discuss it. And they're doing something later. I said, so like, why, why are we not being about it? Why, why, why would you not come here and nominate and do something? We're at the convention. This is not the time just to be saying, oh, we're going to talk about this. Talking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so like, let's be about it. You know, and I was just, I was just hot. You know, when I got to think about that afterwards and, and some of the other ladies were too, right? You know, this is not making any sense. Why can't we? Da, 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 you know, we were just. I said, somebody needs to run. Who needs? I'm looking around. Who needs to run? Who can I tap to run for this? This is. <laughs> and I'm looking everywhere. I was, you, know, I was, you know, and then because my girlfriend, um, I drove to Phoenix. Right, I'm in Charleston. I drove to Phoenix. I had all the time in the world. Right, I drove to Atlanta. Picked up my brother. We drove down to Dallas. I dropped him off. Picked up my girlfriend, and we drove to Phoenix and we burst out the back. Wow. So I had plenty of time. Right in the car, you know, coming out of Phoenix, and I was still hot. <laughs> I can't believe. It. I can't believe it. who's gonna run. Somebody needs to run. I can't. And I'm trying to think of the names and who's got. You know, I hadn't even still went to the qualifications part. I'm just trying to think of people who've been in ACF long enough that they would be known, right, to run for something. I mean, I know my girlfriend had already ran a couple of years earlier for secretary, and she lost. You know, but so she wasn't gonna run for anything anymore. So I'm trying to think of who else was. Who else, who else, who else? And I'm like, well, why don't you? It could be. It should be uh-huh. me. <laughs> you know, like that, and that's how it started. I just, I never looked at me, right? And I'm sure that it happens to a lot of other ladies. You know, I'm looking for everybody else. Like, why not me? Right. And that's what happened. That truly is what happened. And I, you know, when when I'm active enough, been to enough conventions and conferences, um, like to network, and it's so important to network. You just can't just work, 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 and not meet people and, and expand yourself and expand your horizons and your business. Uh, associates whatever you know it's important but sometimes we're looking for everybody else to do something and we're standing right here right and that's truly is what happened it's like that checklist you mentioned you only had maybe seven out of the ten and you're ready to disqualify yourself you're like that's good enough 
And I didn't even know what the qualifications were. And I think that has a lot to do with it also. So I made sure, you know, to, to, to post this year what the qualifications are to be a vice president, right? Do you meet this? And even now as run, you know, running for uh, any of the office, what other qualifications, you know, do you have? Have you been a chapter president? Because I've looked around for some other women I could talk to. Hey, why don't you consider running? But they don't have all the criteria. Like, you know, it's either the certification or usually have you been chapter president. One of those two is usually what's missing, you know. Mm-hmm. The desire and willingness is mostly there. But one of the qual- it just disqualifies a lot of people not to have both. I mean, I, I've met guys, other chefs, who the one chef I know, he knew year 10, first day, when he was able to apply for the academy. Wow. <laughs> You know, he knew it. He was counting down, you know. And I know chefs like that. They are waiting. I know this day, I, da, 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 and this year I'll be working on this. And they, I know people who got that stuff down. I've not ever heard a woman talk to me that way. Never. Because once you know those qualifications, you can make a plan. You can start making, okay, chunking yes. it up. I'm going to do this, yes. this. And you can start nominating people like, okay, in five years, your turn. And Yeah. So that's why I really want to get into the mentoring aspect, you know, and, and knowledge is power, truly. So if you know that if you do this, this, and that, I can get to this level. If I do this, this, and that, then I can go here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I really, really, really want to make sure that the mentoring, you know, I, I want I want people, chapter presidents, I want the board of directors, I want everybody to have a mentor, somebody who's young in this business um, and in this profession to do this, to to get a, a seat next to you learn ends it out whatever instead of recycling the same people same thing right. you know we, we, we ain't getting no younger no and that's <laughs> you know, the future you need we gotta those... train them up <laughs> we gotta be able to pass it on something you know i don't want this to die because i'm not at the board anymore right and I, and, I, and I believe representation matters and so with that being said who can we all look at and talk to i mean even when i would teach when i was a teacher the majority of my class has been female you know so but we don't we don't ascend and we don't ascribe and it doesn't look the same way when it comes to the management and leadership system. It's not there. So why is that? Mm-hmm. So how would someone get a mentor? How does this mentor mentee program do you see happening? Because I've had other guests on this this podcast and they've talked about how important it is. And it's like the, the missing link seems to be getting the two together, the mentor and the mentee and, and how yeah. to make that work. Well, there's one thing I know, ACF, that we started. Um, December, November, well, there's a list that you can sign up for. Put yourself on as a mentor, right? And so whatever you want to mentor about, qualifications that you have right now, well, whatever. And then the next part of it is to open it up for mentees mm. so that they have a Rolodex space. We see, I'm, I'm dating myself. They have a Rolodex of <laughs> chefs to choose from that they, they, they want to connect. So the willingness is there because if you weren't interested in mentoring somebody, you would never sign yourself up, right? Right. So that person is signed up. This person is looking. Match. That's you know, perfect. That's it. But I, I want to expand it. I want to, I think it needs to be expanded and mandated. You know, when people are in leadership positions, I think there's a, a, a certain more um, level or commitment to that leadership position that you pass mm-hmm. it on. You know, um, the people who are, who are coming in behind me as vice president of Southeast region or whatever, whatever reason, region is going to be, there should be some kind of a something, a book, something, you know, a chit chat, more than a 10 minute, 15 minute conversation I had with the other VPs before I, you know, before I got into it, you know, what this is all about, what I've done, what you could do, you know, it's up to you, but what I've done, what has happened, and this is where we are, you know, expect this, expect that, you know, and, and for you to carry on the torch and, and continue doing whatever it is you want to do with your, you know, your own style, your own, your own thing, you know, so I, I think that the mentoring part works, um, it can work. Mm-hmm. For all levels in our ACM group, um, it, I think it's so important when you have all these students coming out of culinary schools, and especially now when people are graduating and have never been into a professional building because right. now we're all quarantined, right? Or not working the same as we worked before. So how do we get how do we get that hands on that personal touch and, and experience? We're not even meeting together and working together. It's very important. Yeah, I've had a few guests that talked about that too. Because when you get out of culinary school. You don't have to do the traditional route, go work in a restaurant. You know, some of them are going on to be dietitian, nutritionists. They're working for, you know, suppliers and purchasing and hotels and authors mm-hmm. and teachers. There's so many openings. And I think that mentorship would help because if they could find someone that may be in one of those roles that they aspire to and you can easily make that connection, I think that would help their journey, their career path. Yeah. That and like I said, when you see somebody who looks like you, especially when you're a minority, be it female or person of color, 
was at another level that you aspire to be to, then that that just makes it so much mm-hmm. easier. Because if you've never seen, like somebody who's my mentor, uh, that word was foreign to me. I, I didn't grow up into this thinking about a mentor. I just I, that that word was just something that wasn't used back when I was in school. Mm-hmm. But if I had to say I had a mentor, unknowingly would have been the picture ship I worked with. You know, um, he mentored, taught me whatever. Um, but to say I had one, I, I don't. I couldn't have named another female person of color who was in a position that I knew of that just wasn't in my realm. Right. Well, maybe you could mention uh, influences. Who influenced you, personal, professional, growing up that, you know, to be the person you are or to be in this career? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to date myself again. Stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Julia Child and the Galping Gourmet. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. I, I would come home from school and watch them after school before I turn on cartoons. I had to get my cooking show on. I, I loved watching Julian Child and, and, and Graham Care. I didn't even know that it was Graham Care that he came and did a demo, or whatever, at ACL. Like, oh, that's his name. It's this Galloping Gourmet. <laughs> I didn't even know. You know? Because he was so vivacious on TV. Oh, you know. Oh, he's cooking something. You know, I, that's what influenced me. That, like I said, my, my mom was always a good cook. Uh, very rare that she, you know, even if she did a bump a box or something, uh, it's add this, add that, do this, do that. You know, something was always, you know, she she cooked from scratch, you know, from the cat head biscuits to, you know, to, to really do, doing good food. You know, and, and dad was no slouch either, you know. So I, I grew up with that, you know, parents who cook. And, and even though we, we went out to eat once a week or something like that, it, it was still good food. You know, I remember the days when we would go to a, our neighborhood fish market. And you could point to the tank. You know, I want that one and that one. They take it out, kill it, fillet it, boom, boom, and you go home with some fresh fish. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. Yep. No. Yeah, so. But going back to the role model, the influences, even Julia Child and, you know, Graham Kerr, Galloping Gourmet, they were not, you know, person of color. No. So they don't have that role model. So how is that changing today? Who do they have to look towards today? You know, someone like yourself. I mean, how how can they people be out there and be that role model for those that are looking for someone of their, like themselves? Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to find because um, social media is, is wide open at this point in time. There's so many people who post things, who have blogs, who have, uh, you know, pages, whatever, websites. And you can find now um, a lot more people of color or women doing things, um, mm-hmm. uh, be it in your backyard or, you know, across the waters on some other continent, whatever. You can find it. You can find it a lot easier now. Yeah, you know, I, I was always told that if, if you write the article, send it to the paper, you're more likely to get it printed, published. And if you call a reporter and tell them about something, something and have them come do it. Reporters are lazy. This is what I was told. Right. So if, if I was to write something, you know, and send it, nine times out of ten, I would get it printed, published, whatever, whatever. So I always made sure when I when I'm when I'm like on my social media or like especially on LinkedIn or something, that I would look for the person who was um, into the news media outlets. I would always friend that person or send a request, you know, and and because that that's just a, a boom to me, you know. I, I don't necessarily just look for chefs. I mean, that, that's kind of dead if you just I, yeah, I love to meet other chefs and all that. But I, I want somebody who's in another profession who could um address certain issues or talk to me about something if I have another question, be it the social media aspect or or anything else as far as that goes. You know, they might know somebody who knows somebody who I could, you know, network with about, you know, they're putting on this event over here or American Cancer Society has this going on. Did you know they do? Oh, they do food. They do food. They need somebody to talk. Oh, okay. They need a demo. Oh, okay. Let's go do that. You know, so to network outside of food for me has been key. It always has been. I mean, actually, I think it's that network that's gotten me just about every trip I took out the country was because of that. Meeting somebody who was not necessarily a chef, um, but he was a writer, or author, or or you know, photography, something like that was looking for and they found me hmm. but get outside those normal channels and, and network yes. outside of that and that could really yes. help you awesome so tell us about your business now what are you doing now you you've you've become an entrepreneur you've have your own business you have your, your corporate chef tell us a little bit about what that entails you know i guess pre-pandemic hopefully after the pandemic how has that changed as well <laughs> <laughs> I've almost, almost, you know, severely because of the pandemic craziness, shut that down. But um, 
consulting to, to the, the newbies and people who don't know about their business? Like, you know, is, is this a business or a hobby? Because your pricing isn't right. You're losing money. And, you know, just consulting part of it to me has been, has been huge. Um, I have, have used it to um, network other people. So I've taught a Head Start class for um, two Head Start programs. Sorry, it was for teenage parents. And sadly enough, it was like 16, 17 parents in the class. Wow. It was one dropped out because they had had the second baby and couldn't do it. Like, oh my God. You know, I was like, I can't even imagine in high school, you know, having one, let alone two. But teaching them how to cook and and cook from scratch and not to go out to eat junk food, blah, 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 but how to cook nutritious meals, whatever. So that was part of my business. Um, Of course, doing specialty cakes, wedding cakes, whatever, that's always a part of it. And doing catering, personal chef, that's always been a part of it. Um, so there's some people I've catered for uh, special occasions when they have some sort of business meetings, whatever, I've done that too. Uh, I, I've, I think I've been entrepreneurial since I guess more so. Well, before that, because even when I was married, um, before I had my son, um, we took classes, business, right, business plans and other things for entrepreneurial people. Because I've always felt like I could, I could work that hard for myself. And I would even more so. And, and all the money and all the time would be mine, right? And I, I can remember even having a conversation with, with the chef here that I worked, the last chef I worked for, that, you know, instead of that, after that 90 day or yearly annual, annual review, you know, to give me 3% raise, like, you know, I said, you know, why don't you keep that raise and just give me another day off or two? You know, I knew, I realized then that my time was more valuable than that new tax bracket you just put me in with 3%. You know, like, if you give me another day off or two, you just keep that. And he's like, you want the money? No, nah, you keep that little money. Because I can make more money on my time for me yeah. than I could at 3% working for you. And I, I knew that then. And so I think I also, I, because I was raised with that with that kind of spirit, my mother always had her regular job. She always did something else. You know, she, she if you know, something simple as selling Avon, you know, selling whatever, you know, uh, home-based product business that she had. And she also had real estate that, you know, the house across the street, she rented it out. So she always did something else. So we grew up in that, in that kind of household, in that kind of security things, uh, to have additional income. Never, never one source. So I, I believe in that firmly, strongly. So I was always entrepreneurial, looking for other things. Even when I was working full time as a pastry chef, it's when I adjuncted Johnson Wells, adjuncted community college here. You know, nothing yeah. long days. <laughs> oh my God, what am I doing? But I loved it. You know, I loved the teaching part of it. You know, but it's something I wanted to do. It wasn't something I did repetitively every semester, but when I did it, you know, it's it, 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 it right. You know, those are some long days. Right, sure. I, I always, I always have felt like more than one avenue for, for expressing yourself and for having income coming in. You know, because life is too short. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen people, I, I know people who be cooking still 75, 80 years old, you know, or hobbling around, you know, not in the best health at all. And, and, you know, like, I just can't see myself cooking like that or being in the kitchen at that that kind of health condition or being in the kitchen at that age. Yeah, you know, um, it's too hard. One of our chef residents just died a few months ago, 70-something years old, heart attack in the kitchen, boom, just pop, just drop. Like, I don't, I don't want to go like that. I want I want something more than just, I love cooking. I love baking. But there's got to be something more that I can use my experience and expertise in doing. It's got to be. Yeah, when, when you can't be a chef anymore, what are you going to do next? Yeah, right? what's when the next step? You know, and, you know, oh, somebody said, oh, you could be a food inspector. Like, yeah, that's possible. Or you can go sell for, you know, one of the premiers. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, I did have, you know, my own business for um, especially food products. I did that. And that was great. Actually, that was like, I think my son was like mm, three years old. So quality of life was a key issue for me at that point in time. You know, it was a Monday through Friday gig, mostly. Uh, you know, eight to five mostly. So I was able to actually enjoy dinners <laughs> and weekends with yeah. the son and the family. You know, um, I also have a bonus daughter who's about twelve years older than he is, and and her lifestyle growing up is totally different from what his lifestyle growing up because mom was home for him, right? But when she was when we got together and got married and I and I got her, I was working still. I was in, I was still you know that that hotel pastry chef working those 10, 12 hour days. You know, holidays and weekends. You know, so my, my day's off on Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> you know, like, you yeah, yeah. You know, like, so there, there you go. So, but she grew up, you know, holidays began when mommy came home. You know, Christmas mm-hmm. starts when I get at the door. So, five o'clock in the afternoon. Now, either, either of them in the business, either of them following your path? My son did for a minute. You know, he was to the point 
He went to his first ACF convention when he was oh six months old. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I took him. It was in Fort Lauderdale. And I said, I'm not leaving my baby. <laughs> you know, I took him with me. You know, so I had to stroll it. People I had no oh I'll watch why you go to class. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't have a nursery at the ACF, right? No, 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 no. So, you know, they both love to cook. You know, they both love to cook. My my son cooks better than my daughter. But, you know, and he likes to play in the kitchen. He can even sit there. Well, I I made this lobster dinner, but I don't think I'm going to try it again. And I said, what are you doing, lobster? Oh, my God. You know, but every time I came to something, he was right there with me. Every, Every ACF meeting, he was right there with me. But I went here locally. I go to the one that was in Florence, you know, and I think at that time they were doing an escargot tasting. My son in second grade is doing an escargot tasting. Wow. Of course, he's, he takes the expensive one and he likes it. So <laughs> enjoy that. We're getting this at the house. Yeah, you know, I was like, people tell me, you know, your, your kids are so spoiled. I said, how do you mean they're spoiled? But they grew up with a mom or a chef and blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, but I'm just cooking at home. I'm just cooking you know, regular food, you know. Yeah, it might have been Chef Boyardee or whatever. I can't, you know, that I grew up on sometime before I, we came home for lunch, right? That, that they're getting. I said, I'm just cooking regular food. At the house. I'm not cooking anything five star, blah, 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 you know, but not knowing that a lot of parents don't cook at home every day all the time or don't cook, you know, at, go get the chicken or the, whatever, the KFC, whatever they're doing. I, I just wasn't me. You know, so I, I didn't take that. I just, this is what we normally do. You know, so we sit around and talk about it now. You know, the daughter likes pies over cakes, so she'll make a pie and make the dough from scratch, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. so he cooks everything. You know, he's got his favorite, but he likes to cook all the stuff. And for a while, he was working in restaurants to the point where I said, you know, I know for people, I could probably get you, you know, introduce, introduce, introduction into a school or something if you want to go calling. And then he decided to get out. <laughs> so, okay, I shouldn't have said anything. If I had said anything, maybe it would have been all right. But he still likes to cook. You know, and like I said, they're, they're both, you know, very, very petite children. I said, don't let that skinny food. My kids eat. They eat very well. <laughs> they will sit down and finish a plate in a minute. You know, so, yeah, they, they take after me that they love to cook, but they're not in the profession. But they're not in their business. That's okay. Um, what do you What do you think the future is? Because just mentioned culinary school and talking about that. Well, you know, now the Art Institute, Cordon Bleu, they're closed. Tua Johnson and Wales are closing. Uh, the, I, New England Culinary Institute yeah, is closed. Funny. They're all, you know, what, where do you see the future of culinary education or if someone wants to get into it today? <sighs> yeah, I have to look at that a little bit more. I mean, I, I kind of like, what, what do you mean? Because the art was, Escoffier is online, right? And so, well, how do you do that if, if you, don't, you don't have that that person backing you up to talk, taste the smell, see exactly what you did. You know, like, yeah, you can only go so far to me in my head of, of Zoom cooking class, whatever, whatever online. Because you gotta have that that hands-on or that personal experience right there. When you, you know, who's to say that you folded, you know, what's folding, what's mixing, how to use the right knife. I mean, you gotta have that experience. And if you don't have that person there to show you, to teach you, to train you, right there in your face, you know, I I I I, I hesitate to think what it's going to look like, what your experience actually is, what your knowledge actually is going to be. You actually try to go out into the world and do something. I just don't know how that's going to work. It's not the same to me, education-wise and knowledge-wise, you know, Mm -hmm. from taking all these classes online, especially something that's so hands-on that involves all your senses and only using um, what you see and then what you're tasting, but nobody else is giving you that critique that you need so badly. I mean, it's like competing. You don't get the critique. Here's your medal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's your certificate. Okay. But you never get that critique. That critique is so important. And you're not getting it fully, I think. Just online stuff. So I'm kind of concerned about that. Maybe it's a combination of like the apprentice program where they have to do it online and then they have to go do it at a residency type at a restaurant or hotel where then they can get the, the live feedback and critique. Yeah, but you know, if, if, if then you hold that true, you know, hotels and restaurants still are, are hurting. Mm-hmm. And so who has the, the the resources to take that in and do that. Yeah. You know, um, most people at this point in time want somebody more than a warm body, but they want some experience to come in the door. And it's amazing to me. I, I've had this conversation with the chefs too, you know, that the demand, of course, because everybody, everybody wants to live, but the demand, of course, is there for the higher wage, but the experience doesn't match it. You know, and so, you know, what do you do? You know, how, how where, where do you lower yourself to? Um, uh, you're going to pay somebody top dollar, wherever your top dollar is in your city. If they come in with, you know, primary, entry-level experiences and skills, or for somebody who's never 
been in a professional setting, but he's only done online. Mm. You know, how does that work? You know, so and and they demand top dollar. But I, mean, I knew somebody he 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 opened up the restaurant and nobody came in with the experience that he was needing for the restaurant. So he's training as if it's day one in school. Give them all a notepad and and the, and, the, and the pen. This is this part of your equipment. Put this in your pocket. So you were writing this stuff down. You know, when I tell you this, this, and that, and this is how you know. I mean, it was very basic stuff. They did not know. You know, and this this is the right knife. This is the right bowl. This is the right plate. You know, this is how we plate. You know, just basic stuff. You know, this is how you work the line. This is you know. Don't, I don't need you from the pot to come on the line when it's open kitchen and just stuff. Yeah. And they, they they did not know. You know, so. Teaching, um, having that experience, actual experience to me, um, is what I've always recommended in the apprenticeship program. Because I've, I've, I've seen lots of students who never took the time to work while they were in school. School was so all-encompassing for them, right? Or they just didn't want to put the time in to actually be in the job. Even though, I think at the time, Johnson Wells was on trimesters, and they didn't have school Fridays, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so to give them the opportunity to work in the profession. But most of them took their time to go out and party and play or go home, whatever, right? Most of them were not working, you know? And so, you know, they, they missed that opportunity to get that hands-on experience to go with that classroom experience. Because I said, they don't always be the same. Right. Yeah. Good points. So I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see what happens with the more schools closing. I don't know if there's enough opportunities for apprentice to fill that void or who's going to train them and then it comes into a they, it, restaurants going to reopen and at what level and whew. i mean they're saying now you know before by, by the end of the by the end of 2021 into 2020 that you know a hundred thousand more restaurants will, will be closed you know and and like that's how many people without a job you know and and, and people's livelihoods they're like, like oh my god you know so being on other calls and all that, it's, it's not like we aren't essential people. We are essential people, but you just have to find the way to make yourself essential. It's not it's not business as usual anymore. You got to find a way because people have to eat. Mm-hmm. They're going to eat. It's how do you feed them? And once you figure that out, how to safely feed people good food, you, you kill it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be an entrepreneurial time. There's opportunities there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what's next for you? Like, as far as the ACF, you've been twice now as a regional vice president. Where is where do you see yourself going? What do you what do you aspire in the future for you? <laughs> well, um, so we're talking about the opportunities and talking about representation matters. And so, truly, when I when I accepted that nomination for Southeast Regional Vice President, my aspirations wasn't for anything else. It was just to fill what I thought was a void of representation of female and minority people on the on the board. But not knowing, see, here we go again, not knowing what the qualifications and, and the rules are that you have to be on the board before you ascend or try to ascend to be the president. And so, like, I remember someone asking me off the rip, so you're going to run for president now? I said, no, what? what? Can I just enjoy this? <laughs> you know, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, to be president, you got to be on the board. Da, da, da. I said, really? Because I, I had no idea. That was not my agenda. You know, but other people who knew are already thinking about that. So, oh. So I, I guess there's a few people who think about me being on this board now because, you know, is she going to run for president or not? You know? Wow. And so I really, for four years, for almost four years, I have had that question in one way or the other come up to me because I'm eligible to get nominated to be to run for the national president because I sit on the board. And I'm like, hmm. And in my knowledge of my 30 plus years of being an ACF member, the only person I saw who came close to being a national female president um, she was the Western Regional Vice President, and at the time, the vice presidents all rotated the offices, so they eventually ascended to the national president position, wow. right? So you got voted in on the national for the VP position, and then you rotate around. And so by the time it was her rotation, uh, bylaws changed. Wow. And, uh, we all need to vote on the national president. So, you know, so it was the year she was supposed to ascend to it. It never happened. Hmm. So there's only been two females on the national board as regional vice president. Southeast had one, the West had one. Then I came along. So yeah, I got nominated. And yeah, I'm going to run for national president. So by the time this airs, I will be running for national president as the first African-American female, or first female African-American run for that national president position in our 92nd. Good for you. I appreciate that. (laughs) 
That's awesome. And I've been told, you know, well, maybe you shouldn't run. You know, things aren't easy. Well, nothing's ever easy. If, if you were running for it to be easy, what's the point? You know, anybody can do the thing, right? And so I, I, I'm going in with four years of experience of being on national board, you know, and, and I see things, I, I say things, and sometimes I just sit back and, and just observe. And so things have to change. You know, we need some progress. And, and like I said, I really do truly believe the mentorship and the representation matters. You know, and, and there's so many cooks out there. And the issues of, you know, like I said, being essential and how do we display our skills and our craft and still keep ourselves safe um, and still make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those are key vital roles. You know, when, when our government has not spent the money on food and beverage hospitality as it has done for, and we are, what is it, 10% or 0.4 of the GDP, whatever, you know. Yeah. We are a huge, huge industry. And we got overlooked. But I don't think that we, we position ourselves to petition and speak for ourselves enough to say, hey, you know, knocking on those doors, making those phone calls. You know, restaurant tours, hospitality people are here. And we are such a large industry that affects everybody nationwide, you know, from the distributors to, you know, to, to laundry services. I mean, everything is, is affected. Sure, farmers, producers. You know, um, why, why weren't we um, looked at and taken care of better? You know, um, I'm not the political one to talk about all that, but I know something should have been done. could have been done a lot better. Yeah. And we could have been better represented, you know, when our membership is is literally hurting, losing jobs and businesses. Got to be a better way. Yeah, so true. We need that cohesiveness. We need the spokesperson. We need that networking and, you know, to be able to go out and advocate for our industry. Definitely. So you've been an ACF member for a long time. You're still an ACF member, and you plan to continue being an ACF member. How could someone else get involved that maybe doesn't know anything about the ACF or wants to go and maybe check out a meeting? How, how can they find out that information? Really, truly, the best way is to go on to the ACF website, acfchefs.org, and all the, the members, the meetings, the chapters that we have is listed there. So you can click on like the state and find the chapter closest to you. Uh, most chapters are still doing virtual meetings. Some, a few have been, you know, personable, but most are still doing, you know, Zoom meetings. Uh, but and the dates are posted. Um, the time is posted. If not, then the, the person, the chapter information is posted, like the president, secretary, treasurer, that stuff is posted on the website. So you can always find the chapter, the closest one to you. Or if you're interested in moving or just going around the states, the nation, whatever, and find one there and get on the, you know, the meetings don't cost anything, especially for the Zoom stuff. So. You can always find what's happening. You know, I wonder what's happening in, in Oregon today. But, you know, what, what is their next meeting? You know, or I grew up in Chicago. What's the Chicago chapter doing? Or what's my chapter of origin? Dallas doing. If I want to check and see what's going on with them. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to reach out and network and meet other people who are like-minded um, and doing things that you might want to be doing or are doing and seeing something different. So I, I always advise people to um, go to the website, find that. Thanks to this, it's just a great way to meet like-minded people who are more than likely... Um, there to help. You ask them a question, they will respond to it because um, they want to help. You know, they have that same spirit. And then they could become a member themselves as well? They can become a membership. That's all online too, and on the same website. They can, they can join ACF. That's, that banner is right there. Uh, and, and, or, and the number to call for membership is right there too. Joe, Joy, and staff is right there ready to help and take you take information on the line. And we have new payment plans where it's not just necessarily a yearly payment. You can make it easier to pay monthly. You know, it's like 10, 15, 20 dollars a month is easier than 200 something dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's added to your monthly. You put it on a credit or debit card and it's just don't worry about it anymore. Um, so, I mean, we, we've come up all ways to make it easier for the member to, to get their membership. And, you know, from free to um, really discounted to, uh, you know, making those payments easier. It's all there, so I, I definitely online it. And they could find out about getting certified, certified too, and climbing, finding out about that, and oh my climbing God, yeah. all the way up. All that, you know, what ACF is all about, when, when our next meetings are. We've been doing a lot of virtual classes, some for continuing education hours, some some just just to have classes and conversations um, about cooking. You know, best practices for Christmas shopping. You know, we had um, diversity matters um, discussion, a couple of them. We've had country club chefs getting together. We, so we, we've had a whole bunch of different webinars um, to address different situations and things that have happened. So it's a great way, like I said, to, to stay informed, to stay on you know, cutting edge stuff, 
and just to see other people and, and you know you're not alone other people who may be in the same boat doing the same thing you're doing you're just doing it you know wherever they are so it's a great way to definitely reach out and if someone wanted to get in touch with you or follow you or your path or get in touch for classes or cakes is there any way that they could find out where you are or is there a site or something well i'm also listed on the acf website but i also have a website too kimberlybrockbrown.com keep it simple uh, I am on Facebook, Kimberly Brock Brown on Facebook, um, but all my social media at this point in time, I think I have it linked up. So I'm LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, and ACF website. Uh, you can find me, Kimberly Brock Brown. I'm there. Perfect. And I'll put those links in the show notes to this and okay. part of the bio. And so if anyone's uh, driving right now and can't write it down, you can always go back and look yeah, at go that. Go back. Go write it down there. <laughs> write it down later when you're not driving. <laughs> Awesome. So as we come to the end of our chat today, before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you, know, you want to leave with the listeners? Something you want to share? Maybe tell someone that's going into this industry or looking into culinary school or anything like that? We were all, when I was going through it, told that you know the aspiration was to become fine dining white tablecloth chef. You know, it was people kind of laugh, they look down if you were a hospital chef. A laugh that put down if you weren't like, even the country club chef or a highfalutin white tablecloth kind of thing. But you know, things are so changed, and you you can make your mark in this industry. There are so many different avenues from being a, you know a, a social media star, um, dealing with food. I mean, every talk show basically has a food segment now. Um, photography, if you're into that kind of thing, um, you know the personal the personal chef thing is not going away. And these meals delivered at home, it's just nothing but getting bigger and bigger. So if you can find a niche in that, of delivering whatever your specialty is, um, be it the healthier stuff or just good home cooking stuff, you know, that's not going away. If anything, that, that is booming. Uh, so just finding a way to be relevant and to get good food, safety to other people is going to be key. And it might not be the brick and mortar. It might be the food truck. I think food trucks are a perfectly good way at this point to be safe and have good food uh, and get to the masses um, quickly and safely. Um, I, I I do believe, you know, being innovative and, and not necessarily being tied down to the brick and mortar might be the best way to go. Truly it is. Uh, we are all looking for that next best big thing. And sure, um, the food fusion, the uh, nouvelle cuisine, you know, all, all the stuff that we've gone through over the years for food, uh, Scotty, this, and you know, this is that. Um, know the basics. Learn the basics. And then you can put your own twist and spin on anything. But, you know, Caesar salad is Caesar salad. You know, don't call Caesar salad, you know, something that you put Thousand Island dressing on and blah, blah. You know, just, it is. Basics are the basics. And that's key. You know, know, know your basics. Know, know the traditional stuff. Before you go twist and add and, and put my touch and my, you know, whatever on it. But you got to learn that. You know, know your skills. And... And, and always be open-minded and, and always, always, I think, look for the person, look for people to bring you up. Um, you know, they always say, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, truly, if, if you're the one who's doing all the cooking and all the studying and learning, you're in the wrong room. You want somebody to be able to pull you up, you know, who can mm -hmm. train you, talk to you. Um, who you can go to to advice, um, some good advice, and um, follow through with that. I mean, it's a lot easier these days, even though most of us are still, you know, nine, six feet behind that glass, whatever. Um, it's still easy to reach out to people via social media and, and you know, to, to ask that question. There are so many online groups who are who are for foodies, for chefs um, that you can talk to, ask questions about and, and get them support. You know, so you all need that pad to back and like, man, this is a hard day today. You know, I lost the contract or what's the right food cost? You know, I mean, you get that all the time. Well, they didn't want to spend three hundred dollars for, you know, for 30 people for a four course meal. Like, OK, no, <laughs> you know, just, no, it's not going to work. You know, so there, there's just so many ways to, to talk and reach out to people um, to help you in your profession and guide you on your career. So, if, you know, not having that, that classroom experience, it's OK at this point in time. Yeah, it's great to be there next to each other. But there are so many different other ways you can reach out, you know, between social media and phone, you know, old school, phone call, you know, to do that and make that happen. So. Perfect. Great advice. 
Okay, well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to first thank you, Kimberly, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Thank you. I appreciate you asking and having me on in. I, I hope I can be a blessing to somebody. You know, we're all in this together. And, you know, I, I don't know everything, but what I do know, I'm happy to share. Well, thanks again. I enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. And to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.